You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Welcome back to another exciting episode, or uh, let's hope it's exciting, <laughs> or at least mildly amusing, <laughs> uh, episode of The Geek's Pub. I'm Tim Robertson, joined, and by the way, for those who listen to uh, Tech Band, sorry about last week, it wasn't going to happen, but uh, uh, this week I'm here, joined by uh, David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I really enjoyed your conversation with Owen last week. That was uh, really well done. It, it was it was a lot of fun actually. It was uh, we just literally just had no idea what we we're going to talk about, and we just let it go. And uh, I thought it worked out really well. So, in other words, this is a regular episode of Tech Fan. Yeah. <laughs> also joining us on the Geeks Pub is Donnie Ankelo. Hello, Donnie. Hello. So uh, last time Donnie was with us was the last episode when we also had Owen, and it was kind of a crowded show, but. Three of us this week. I think it's a little bit more manageable. And the topic um, I thought would be a fun one. Donnie and I actually talked about this a couple weeks ago, and it's our top villains, top five villains. But the problem, guys, is I've actually got six, and I'm trying to <laughs> frantically decide which one is going to get bumped. It's down to two of them, and I'm not sure which one I want to bump yet. Well, but well, maybe maybe you can have I'm an honorable mention. Uh, yeah, the, the thing is, I bet there's going to be some overlap, but that's okay. We're going to kind of go round robin. So, why this up? Or why this topic? Well, villains are important. You know, I, I don't care how cool the hero of a movie or the story is, whether it's comic books, whether it's novels, whether it's television shows or movies, or even just the spoken type of story, a, a ghost story, if you will. If you don't have a good villain, who cares? If the vill- if if the here, I'll give you a prime example. Number one, I love the Harry Potter books. I love them. Yeah. Every single book in, in the seven books, right? Mm-hmm. In every single book, Harry wins at the end. Every single time. And you know he's going to win at the end. You know he's going to. Yeah. But Harry is never, you never feel like Harry could die. You never feel like Ron or Hermione could die. Uh, Some of the other characters do, but the main three characters you know are going to make it. And so I think that weakens the character of Voldemort. He's not as, oh, my God, how how are they going to do this? You know at the end they're going to win. So I don't think that's a great character as far as Voldemort is not, to me, he's way scarier in the books than he is in the movies. Let me put it that way. Well, there's that as well. But, um, I, I think what she tried to do, she tried to set him up as like the ultimate big bad. Everyone was so terrified of him. They wouldn't even say his name. Um, right. But yet the ease with which Harry seemed to overcome everything Voldemort threw at him one way or the other. Um, yeah. Kind did kind of undermine him. You've got to, I think, I think you've got to challenge You've got to challenge your heroes, uh, and you, you're right. You've got to you've got to make the stakes high enough. Um, yes. I mean, one thing I noticed from my list is that, uh, and and I as, as I put the list together, I really realised that I was deliberately doing this. I didn't care about villain backstories. I think villains are better when they are just implacably evil, uh, and I prefer it when they don't have a big overarching complicated plan. I prefer it when they are just what they are because then you can I, I feel that helps define the hero story more because it's more about the hero and it's less about the villain one of the problems with some of some of these villains particularly the way they're 
de- depicted once they have sequels and that sort of thing is that you, they they want to give them reasons and motivations and all of that and all that does right. is make the audience almost start to sympathize with the villain more and in some respects that's not a great that's not a great thing to do well the whole um fantastic beasts yeah that jk rollins is doing now I, I don't care at all about these movies at all i think they're terribly written um but I don't care about the good guy or the bad. Yeah. Well, I think I think if you're going to make any, uh, uh, you know, much as I love Harry Potter and and then everything as well, I think the the genius of of J.K. Rowling was that she was an incredible world builder, and the yes. world she built is amazing, and it's a truly fresh take on the kind of the fantasy genre. Um, I don't think, in terms of plots, she was ever really that fantastic to be honest no i agree um, with you you know and it, and it was about the world and it was about seeing harry who was kind of our representative in the world because he came from a background from where he he knew nothing about magic so it particularly mm. in the early books it's about like he's he's learning about it he's the audience learning about it at the same time and, yeah same thing with luke skywalker yeah i mean it, the, the the fish out of the water the discovering this new thing that's what we like that's the main character has to be us or at least a character with the main character that's going along and explaining things to us because we don't know either. And neither does this character and we're experiencing yeah. it for the first time, just like they are. So Donnie, we're going to start with you. Give us uh, okay. your first big bad. Well, I went through my iTunes library, looking at all the <laughs> I movies. The same thing. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. And, um, I kind of went out probably out of the box on some of these, but, um, you ever see i'm guessing you have the movie dark city oh yeah um yeah i think it's from the 90s i yeah. want to say and the, um, 90s. the the aliens or whatever apparently they're called the strangers in that movie um i remember loving that movie and those those i guess pale-faced people that walked around and controlled how the world changed and trying to get the memories and capture, um, I don't remember the main character's name, but um, hmm, yes. stopping the main character. They just, when I saw that on, in my iTunes library, I was like, wait, those, that's a bunch of different types of uh, villains that were. I, I kind of see what you're going for here, Donnie. They're very, the, this type of villain is, uh, it, it nowadays mm-hmm. a little bit of a trope, really. Uh, I think Dark City was one of the first earliest movies kind of in our lifetime to do this, but they're, they're very similar to aliens like the silence on Dr. Who, the ones you can't see unless you, unless you look, unless you're not looking at them. Um, and, um, who are the, who are the other ones? I'm trying to think. Um, well, there was, uh, that remember that movie Roddy Piper was in. Oh yeah. Um, they live, they live. Yeah. yeah. And you, if you wore these special sunglasses, you could see that some humans were actually yeah. these alien but the, demon. The, things. the trope is basically it's, it's kind of creepy guys in dark suits wandering around who nobody sees and are pulling all the strings. So it's yeah. kind of like a puppet master thing. The other thing that, um, that, that's, that's like, this is, uh, Oh, and it was, it was on the tip of my tongue and now it's gone again. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is something similar to that. Yeah, yeah, but the, the idea of of a of a oh, I'll tell you what they were in. Um, it's the sort of thing that was in Buffy all the time. Buffy the Vampire Slayer would be there'll be evil things who you can't see, 
um, who are basically there all the time, but you just can't see them, and you're not, you're not aware of them, and they're kind of d- dictating the environment, you know. And yeah. this, and the, I guess the Slender Man, which is this this kind of thing all the kids a few years ago were getting terrified by, is a similar <laughs> sort of idea. You know, it's a creepy yeah. guy, white, bald head in a dark suit, uh, and he's always like just on the edge of your vision, and he's controlling what's going on. All right, very good choice. Yeah. So. And definitely out of the box, i, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, that I think, one, I that think one might, wouldn't even occur to me. Yeah, Donnie's might be taking us on a ride on this one there, Tim. Ah, I like it. So what's yours? <laughs> yeah, it might be. David. That movie, though, I love the ending of that movie. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great and very much underrated movie. Um, I, I remember I – rem, I haven't watched it for a long, long time. In fact, I might not have – I might have only seen it when it was out in, in the cinemas. It was a 1998 movie, but it was it was very, very good. Um my first one is uh, is Hal 9000 from 2001 Space Odyssey. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And the reason I went for Hal is because he kind of... He kind of set the... He set the idea of the, of the, the rogue computer, which was kind of um, then picked up by pretty much every single... Uh, a lot, an awful lot of science fiction movies after that, and an awful lot of TV series and everything. Um, and and he, I guess even Hal was inspired by stuff earlier on. There was road computers in Star Trek and that sort of thing. But the thing about Hal was that he was yeah. the, the thing about Hal was that he was completely and utterly um, emotionless about what he did. He he had his reasons, and he wasn't sharing those reasons, and he just basically carried it out as a task in just the same way he would carry out anything else. So, you know, um, earlier on in the movie, when he's running the ship properly, he does what people ask him to do. And then later on in the movie, he needs to kill people because of, for his reasons. And he just does it. He's no, you know, you can't, you can't argue with him. He just, he doesn't engage in grandstanding or anything like that because it's a computer. So he just says, you know, yeah, let, you can't, you can't relate to it emotionally. You it, can't, yeah, exactly. You know, beg for your life. It, and, and it doesn't care that you have children. No. And, and basically, you know, he, he leaves Dave Bowman outside the ship and he's going to maroon him there. And he's, and Dave Bowman's going open the pod bay doors. And he just says, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And that is the end of the conversation. And at that yep. point, then, you know, the hero, Dave Bowman has to basically, you know, he's working against the computer and the computer controls everything. It's incredible. The great thing about what, what happens with 2001 is that at the beginning of the movie, all this technology is presented as an amazing thing and it's helping them do these amazing things against something they don't really understand. And by the end of the movie, the hero, the astronaut has to be fighting against his own technology. And the point is, is the, the kind of the, the antagonist in the movie, the thing you don't understand, the monolith has nothing to do with any of that. It's not the aliens making Hal do that. It's basically, it's what the humans have done that make Hal do that. And you don't even find that out during the movie. You only find it out in the sequels why Hal did what he did. So in the movie himself, he is just an implacable enemy who's doing his own thing for his own reasons. And he just set up a huge sci-fi trope of the, you know, the artificial intelligence that apparently knows more than we do, which is, an inc- I think, is an incredibly powerful concept as uh, showing a hero against against technology. Good pick. My first pick is uh, totally different than either one of yours, to be honest. Um, it's definitely a trope, but and it's probably a trope for the forever, 
the, this kind of character, and it's Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Mm-hmm. Not the sequel, although the sequel is okay. I just meh. Um, Charlie Sheen, Michael Douglas plays uh, Gordon Gecko. It was one of those movies that took what, at the time, people were celebrating greed in America. You know, money is everything, and however you have to do whatever you have to do to get it. Um, you know, whoever has more wins. And the untouchable, you know, money guy out there. And Michael Douglas played Gordon Gecko to a T. I don't think anybody could have played that role as well as he did. Um, and it was truly frightening in the sense that it's real. Unlike, you know, The Strangers or Hail 9000, this is an actual type of person that exists in the world then and now and before that someone that has that much power and influence can just come in and destroy an entire city if he wants to taking over companies and breaking them up and putting people out of work and you know it it was it was terrifying but it was also in some respects uh, more of a hero character for some people. I, I know people who worked on Wall Street that looked at Gordon Gecko as a hero. Like, that's that's what it takes. That's who you got to be. That's who we want to be. And they completely missed that that's the bad guy. Yeah. That's not who you're supposed to be rooting for. And yet so many people did. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. And and I, I what I loved about him is that there was nothing... Michael Douglas, who I think is actually, even though he won an Oscar for this for this role, I think he's an underrated actor. I, oh, I, I watched agree. I watched um, both the Ant Man movies recently because hey Disney Plus, and um, you know I thought this is a this is a very very familiar face with a very very familiar voice, and yet he brings, you know, you kind of lose that very easily with him when he's in Ant Man. He becomes Hank Pym very easily, and I think you know the the beauty of the work he does, particularly in Wall Street, is that you very quickly move the move past his very familiar face because it's a second generation familiar face sure. and voice into just buying the character. And I love I love the name. I love the name Gecko. I just can because it just kind of sums up what he is. You know, a sl- <laughs> kind of slightly slimy. You know, you're kind of fascinated but a little little bit repelled at the same time. Um, and yeah, he he was amazing in the movie. And I, and I thought. You know, it's it's one of one of his finest performances, to be honest. I, th- I think again, I put it on my list as top villains. That's how yeah. much I enjoyed that. Yeah. All right, Donnie, your turn. All right, this is another out there one, which uh, may not qualify as a true villain. But when I was going through my list and I saw um, Ghostbusters come up, I had to go with the Safe Puff Marshmallow Man. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Tried to think of the most harmless thing. Something I loved from my childhood. Something that could never, ever possibly destroy us. Mr. Stay Puft. Nice thinking, Ray. We used to roast Stay Puft marshmallows by the fire at Camp Wakanda. Ray has gone bye-bye, you gun. What have you got left? Sorry, Bankman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. <laughs> 
just just because I I just remember being a kid watching that movie and you guys continue for a second. I have to go let the dogs in. I'll be right back. That was just like probably so unexpected, and all of a sudden there's this giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Man walking through the city. I I I mean, obviously, what they did there is they you know they they. The idea in the movie, for those who have not seen the movie or don't remember the movie, is that um, they are told by Zool, the big bad, that they have to choose the method of their destruction. <laughs> Everyone has to right. try and empty their minds. And what's the name? Dan Aykroyd's character, unfortunately, thinks of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man of, you know, something happy roasting marshmallows by the fire as a kid. And then, you know, it's personified as what, a, you know, a 140 foot huge monster which is made of marshmallow. It's uh, it's an incredible thing. I, I I remember being slightly confused at the time. I wasn't that familiar with American culture, and I knew about the Pillsbury Doughboy, and I couldn't understand whether the Stave Puff marshmallows were real or whether it was a skit on the Pillsbury Doughboy. I don't I don't know if you okay. if you have any information on that, but um, I don't know. You know what? What I love about it is that he's, you know, he, when he's when he's walking towards them, he's still, you know, the happy character with the big smile on his face, right, right. despite the fact he's stepping on the cars and the people are running out of the way, destroying the whole city. Exactly. Yeah, but then, as soon as they actually turn their, um, you know, turn their proton packs on him, then he he gets this face of rage as he starts climbing up the building. It was, and he was actually marshmallows because they roasted him. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was. Um. It was a great thing. It was unfortunate that. When they, Ray, again, what did you do? Yeah, <laughs> it's just unfortunate that that they went tried to take go to that well again with the second movie. It was, um, you know, because they had, they had the Statue of Liberty, I think, walking through the streets in the second movie. Um, you know, but then that's that's, that's the risk of sequels. Always, yeah. uh, David, you're up. Okay, so my next one is Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. And yeah, I knew somebody was going to pick Hannibal. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure that, that when we come to the end of this, we're all going to have the same one. But, you know, I'll, there's, there's one we haven't talked about yet who I'm sure is going to come up. Um, I've been holding off on that one. Yeah. We, I, we, I didn't pick him. Oh, well, I know who it is, but yeah, I didn't pick him. Right, well, well, we'll come to that. One of the things I actually I came to with, with my selections is that some of these villains, it's in particular movies and not in their sequels and Hannibal Lecter is definitely one of those for me I'm talking about as played by Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs A census taker once tried to test me I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti Yes. Because he was played previously by Brian Cox in Manhunter which not a lot of people saw and Brian Cox did a very different take on the character, but Anthony Hopkins just nailed it out. You know, absolutely hit it out of the park with uh, with his. He's, he's completely terrifying. He, even though he's caged in almost like a dungeon, which kind of is part of what what they do because they have them in that horrible dank, you know, set of cells with a yeah. sheet of glass. You know, he cannot get out, and yet he is still malevolent and terrifying. And at the same time, he has that charm. And his willingness to engage, and yet you know, you can just see him. He doesn't need to say a word. You know, there is so much going on inside that head, and pretty much all of it is evil. It is, um, it is, it, it was terrifying. To be honest, it was absolutely terrifying. The performance he gave, and I think it was debased 
with the later movies where they again they gave more backstory and more motivation yeah, just ignore those yeah those, those don't exist yeah no. and and really what i loved if you've i've read the book as well and what i loved about the book was that in the book again they don't kind of give a lot of what he's done uh, red dragon did but in the silence of the lambs didn't and it basically just kind of made him out to be just a, such a psychopath you couldn't possibly understand his motivations which i think is is really what it's all about with him is that his 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 level of evil is so different from ours that you can't actually understand it and you kind of get that from the interplay between him and clarice because he's playing with her she's trying to get information from him but at, n- at neither time even though he he appears to completely understand her he's a, he's able to get into her head she can't get into his at all you know it's it's a very much a one-way street and i think that is what makes him you know amazing for me and, and certainly that portrayal was was excellent excellent pick um although you know i almost put the rule out there you can't pick these certain ones <laughs> because it's too easy but i thought nah let will pick who you want so mine is kind of a villain. Um, he's an antagonist, if if nothing else. And the character has got better over the last two years, believe it or not. But the original, and it's this is one of those things that I think the sequel has actually made him uh, sympathetic and maybe not so much a villain, but it's Johnny Lawrence from The Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. Have you guys watched... Cobra Kai? I have not, no. Danny? No, have not. So, Cobra Kai is an original YouTube um, series. I, th- I think the first season is free on there right now. But Cobra Kai picks up, you know, 35 years after the events of the Karate Kid movies. And it focuses on Johnny Lawrence and, of course, um, Ralph Macchio's character. But the original Karate Kid, there was something about the snarkiness of Johnny Lawrence. And that actor played pretty much the same role in a couple different movies, playing almost the same character. That's kind of what that actor was known for. And he kind of disappeared after the 80s were over. You just really didn't see him in anything. Or if you did, you didn't even recognize him. And then YouTube commissions the series. And the Cobra Kai series is actually better than all the Karate Kid movies. Yeah. It's really, really well done. Well, it's, and and it's, they That's a relatively low bar. No, the Karate Kid was awesome, dude. <laughs> I, I love it. When when I was a teenager, I loved the Karate Kid. Yeah, I no, no, I did too, but maybe time. maybe uh, maybe time has distorted my memory somewhat somewhat. Oh, that's great. Mr. Miyagi. Um <laughs> Ralph Macchio was okay in it. Yeah, well, maybe that's what puts me off. I always thought he was a little bit annoying. You kind of well, wanted to see him get his ass kicked. Well, that's the thing, though. Um, what always bothered me about that first movie was that the judge gives him the rules. And then how does he win at the end? He does that kick right to the face. How, well, that was an illegal kick. How did he win then? And we're all like, yay, he won. And was it, was he it, was to, it the to the face or was it to the chest? I can't remember. No, it's to the face. It's oh, the head right. back. Okay. Well, that's that's kind of the thread where the new series begins. That <laughs> well, that was an illegal kick, and that Johnny Lawrence wasn't the bully of the whole thing. 
the way he looked at it is this kid comes in from the outside and steals his girlfriend away and pours water all over him at a party when he wasn't doing anything to him. Um, and then this old this adult kicks his ass and is all of his friends when they're going to get revenge on this kid who keeps messing with them. And then, then in the karate tournament, he loses because of an illegal kick. So, you know, I, I just really like that character. Is he a villain? Eh, he's an antagonist, if nothing else, but... I, I always thought that his coach. I always thought huh? the coach of Cobra Kai in the first movie was more of the villain because he was the nutter. Um, yeah, he was the pulling the strings. And- yeah, John, yeah, Johnny was just kind of doing the way he'd been taught to do. Oh, you know, huh. yeah, he was a bit of a dick, but um, you know, the that other guy, the uh, he was he was. I always thought he was scary because I thought I think they did it at the beginning of the second movie. In the first movie, I thought at some point the sensei is going to get involved and somebody's going to get really get hurt. And I think yeah. in the second movie didn't he try and do that? Didn't he kind of start beating up on Johnny well, in the car park or something? Yeah, at the at the very beginning, it picks up right after the tournament, and he's calling him a loser and Miyagi. Um, or is that at the end? I can't remember. I, I yeah. know at some point the. The no, it was at it was at the beginning of the first movie because the first one ends with him winning the tournament and his hands are up in the air and that's the end of it. Basically, it's a Rocky movie. Yeah, and the second one begins in the parking lot. You're right, where he says he comes in second and the coach breaks his thing and says second place is you know crap and all that and Miyagi kicks his ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although spoiler, he comes back in the second season of Cobra Kai. All right. Is he still crazy? Uh, I'm not going to say anything else. All I'm going to say is Cobra Kai is really well done, and you should watch it. Uh, well, I've got some time on my hands, so as soon as, I've, as soon as I finish working my way through the Clone Wars, which is awesome, by the way, I will uh, yeah. definitely It's uh, really good, it isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm loving it so much. You are absolutely right. Oh. This, this, uh, the Clone Wars, just a little bit of an aside here, but the Clone Wars is just like, you know, it's so Star Wars, and it's so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the best Star Wars out there. It's better than all three of the newer films. Yes, most definitely. And it's, and it's better than all three of the prequels. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. The only thing I think that measures up to it is The Mandalorian, which I'm watching again and loving again. So, Yeah. Donnie, you are up. All right. Um, this is going to come from a movie that was probably panned and hated. I didn't mind the movie, but I'm a big fan of the book series, The Dark Tower by Stephen King. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And... The Man in Black from that series, just a um, yeah, mysterious. The movie was bad. I'd actually, I, it wasn't, I didn't think it was awful. I think I went in expecting the worst, so it was a little better to me. Did I, just didn't, I just didn't buy the character of the Man in Black in the movie. I'm like, really? Wasn't it Matthew McConaughey? I keep him to get, yeah, I keep expecting yeah. him to get into a Lincoln at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I, see, I th- I've not, I've not seen that. I've got it on my list to watch, but I've not seen the movie yet. Um, I it's am, not terrible, no. but I'm a big fan of the books. I'm a big fan of Idris Elba, uh, and I always thought Matthew McConaughey kind of looked like the Man in Black. So I thought great casting, but I've not actually seen the movie, so I don't know. The movie was um, they changed around a lot from the book series too. With the um, they kind of condensed it all into one little quick movie which i think was part of the problem i think i think they're um i've got i seem to remember reading that they are working on a miniseries of the dot tower for i think they got killed Street. oh it got killed in it right okay yeah there you go. 
But um, the man in black just was through that whole series. Well, not only uh, that, he's not he's not just in the Dark Tower. The point is, he's a recurring villain in many of um, uh, right, or, or right, pulling right. the strings in many of Stephen King's books. So he's kind yeah. of like the ultimate. Um, though, yeah, I'll tell you what, he always reminded me of. They had um, there was one of those lousy mid-season replacement series that kind of I came across many years ago. Um, that was uh, I forget what it was called, but basically the guy was a cop. And he died or he committed suicide and he was sent to hell and he was allowed out of hell back into the real world by the devil to hunt down some creatures that had escaped from hell. Um, and, oh, I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't and the, the name of it. And, and they, the guy who played the devil was um, is the guy who played uh, Lionel Luther in the Smallville series. Great actor. I forget what his name is, but he was really good. And the way he did the devil in that TV series was kind of like the man in black. It was a little bit, you know, it was ultimately underneath. It was evil and implacable, but at the same time it was playful. And, you know, um, you never kind of knew what he was going on and quite elaborate. And um, I, that was reminding me of the man in black from the uh, Dark Tower. I forgot he was tied into all the other stories and, uh, but I remember reading it and all of a sudden he would show up and you're like, oh, yeah, OK. Now, how does this all connect with everything else in the Dark Tower? Yeah. David, you're up. Uh, my next one is this one probably is a little bit off the wall. It is um, it is Maleficent from the Disney movies. And, the new one? Uh, yeah. The, Maleficent is the one with the horns. Right. So it's yeah. from um, uh, sleep, sleeping from Sleeping Beauty originally yeah. was where she came from and and i chose maleficent because again what i always thought about her was um you took one look at her and she was scary which i thought for a disney movie was kind of bold the way they chose that um and again she's she's one of these uh i know that in the in the later kind of continuities and everything and the stuff with angelina jolie they've given her more backstory and justification all that sort of thing but i always thought of all of kind of the Disney villains, she t- to me came across as the scariest because, you know, so the one the, the animated one is the one animated one, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, the original animated kind of green faced queen who's the who's the one who sends Sleeping Beauty to sleep, yeah, because Sleeping Beauty is 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 an incredibly charming movie, and yet when she's on the screen, it becomes absolutely terrifying. And I always Are they moving their microphone around. Not me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I always thought it, it, she was the epitome of kind of an evil queen type character. And I thought it was the best, the best one done. And I remember as a kid thinking, I, d- I don't think I ever saw Sleeping Beauty all the way through, but I, whenever I saw um, the character Maleficent, I just thought she looked so evil and so nasty. Um, and it was all in the look before you saw her move or anything. Uh, and it always kind of stuck with me. And I think, again, that's, her look and, and her kind of thing has become kind of a shorthand now for a, for an sort of evil evil queen. I think you find a lot of more modern female evil characters, and the, the one I'm thinking most recently is um, is uh, the one in the, the evil one in the last in Thor Ragnarok. I think you find a, oh, um, sure. yeah, yeah, you know, it's just basically it comes straight from Maleficent, and they kind of using it as a shorthand to say this is evil woman queen type thing. So I thought for the cultural impacts, she deserved a spot. I actually liked Angeline Jolie. Angel, I can never say her name yeah, right. Angelina Jolie. Uh, 
Yeah, I actually thought she did a really good job in that movie. I did too. I I I thought it was a really good movie, uh, and I actually really enjoyed it. And and the second one, to be honest, I thought they were really well done as a reimagining of something much much older. But again, I'm I'm kind of I like I like the pure badness, the pure badness of the original character. Yeah. So I guess I'm up. Um, This is one that I think everybody would probably put on their list but it's the Joker from The Dark Knight. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. And why do you want to kill me? <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage. You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. Them, you're just a freak like me. Now, I, I know there was just this movie uh, called The Joker, and it's brilliant, no question about it. Yeah, but when it comes to being a bad guy, he only becomes a bad guy at the end. And, you, and again, the problem that you're talking about, you kind of sympathize with him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even then, unless he's got a gun in his hand, you're, I'd kick the shit out of he, that, that, that character. And, and he, um, he frequently does get beaten up by Ma- Batman in the comics. Oh, well, by kids at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, so he's not really all that scary of a character. You almost feel sorry for him that, yeah. you know, society basically has failed this guy and he's just snapped. Whereas Heath Ledger's Joker is a different beast. Now, does it add to the mystique that Heath dies right after playing the role eh, i don't think so but i will say he completely be, he is not heath ledger when he's the joker yeah you know you see heath ledger in any other movie and that is not the same person that's playing the joker in the dark knight it is um a transcendent role i think he would have become one of our biggest stars in the world had he lived because yeah. of that role um he brought something to it that I had never seen in any other villain up to that point. You know, when Batman has beaten the crap out of him in the interrogation room and you could, and he is completely selling that this is hurting him. Yeah. But he doesn't care that he's already won when he's talking to the bad guys and he does the pencil trick. Yeah. Uh, It is such a tour de force of acting and completely putting your own ego and self of id out of it. Yeah. The way he portrays that role is, I've never seen it, another villain, if you will, that is that convincing and is that horrifying. If that guy was after you, you're screwed. There's nothing. I'd be more scared of him coming after me than Michael Myers or an alien or a predator. Because if the Jokers come after you, that Joker... You're not gonna. He's he's already a step ahead of you. Uh, he's after you before you even know he's after. Yeah, you. and and the, the the thing is particularly with that that model of the Joker is even when he loses, he's set it up so he wins. Um, yeah. Because obviously that's yeah. the whole. That's not only. I mean, that happens several times in the movie. It happens to it happens to Bruce. It happens to Batman, and then it happens to Gotham. <laughs> you know, and and you see what happens afterwards is that you know effectively Gotham declines despite the presence of Batman. Um, yeah. And, well, he makes Batman the bad guy at the yeah, end. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, 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 he, he was not on my list, but he was my kind of um, 
on you the know, fringe. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, I j- the reason I didn't go for it is because I thought I knew somebody else would, to be honest, but, uh, you're absolutely, I, I, almost did that. I did that for that same reason. I had two different things on here. The other one still hasn't been picked, but I think it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, it, it's, it's one of those roles that let me put it this way. When the Joker in the dark Knight is on the screen, it elevates that movie so much. He is way better than Christian Bale as Batman. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and and I think to be honest with you, I think he him because I, I remember when he was cast, everyone was kind of scratching their head, going, "How does that yeah. work?" Um, he effectively redefined the Joker. Not, not oh no, ju- yeah, not not just in movies, but in comics and everything. He basically made the Joker completely different. And one of the things I loved about it is going back to something I was saying before is that. He talks frequently about his origin, where he came from in the movie, but you know, you know, it's all made up or it might be made up or maybe it's not made up. Um, yeah, you it, know, it, it changes right. every time he tells the story, yeah. which I think is, is a masterpiece in the script, which is basically saying, you know, let's not justify where this guy came from. Let's not explain it. Uh, let's just make it, you know, let's make a thing of it that nobody knows where he came from. Maybe not even he knows where he came from. Well, yeah. I also think what really helps them and I don't think enough people give credit to this either is when Batman is trying to figure him out, it's Alfred who lends weight to who the Joker really is yeah. with his story. And some people just want to see the world burn. Yeah. Really lends weight to who the Joker really is. And, and more importantly, what he is, he is a force of nature. Yeah. He just wants to see the world burn. You know, and it, it's and, and think about it from Heath Ledger's point of view. He's he's going to come in and do a role that was made iconic by of all people, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is famous for his Joker role, but it almost looks and he still gives credit to Jack Nicholson even after the movie came out. He was like, "Oh, Jack Nicholson, this was really his role, and nobody can really fill his shoes." Bullshit. Heath Ledger destroyed Jack Nicholson's Joker. He made Jack Nicholson's Joker look like a freaking clown that he's portraying. It, it, it's not even close. Yeah, I, 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 it wasn't. I mean, to be fair, I think it wasn't just it wasn't just Heath Ledger in that. I think um, Christopher Nolan's whole approach to Batman, which was to make it more realistic and less fantastical. Um, yeah, you know, and and obviously we we know that the original that original Batman series just became a parody of itself it became so oh, so yeah. fantastical first, over time but the first the the thing is the first one at the time that was like kind of the first kind of more grounded superhero movie we'd seen for a while and yet yeah. you compare it to the 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 series the you know Batman begins and all of that and it and it it looks like a it looks like a cartoon yeah you know? it's very campy and and yeah and and obviously Jack Nicholson was playing into that and um you know yeah he did it was an amazing performance there but it 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 was nothing the thing is jack nicholson was playing a role Heath Ledger became the joker i think that was That's the right. thing. it was never it was always jack nicholson yeah whereas Heath ledger is nowhere to be found in the joker yeah. i mean he it's almost like he had some kind of a a mental disorder that destroyed his psyche and he became the joker oh, i think just a very very good actor that's what it was Again, that, and, and I'll say, had he lived, he would be an A-list actor right now. Yeah. No question. Donnie, you are up. All right, I'm going to piggyback on David with a Disney villain. 
And I'm going to go with Scar from The Lion King. Don't turn your back on me, Scar. Oh, no, Mufasa. Perhaps you shouldn't turn your back on me. Is that a challenge? Temper, temper. I wouldn't dream of challenging you. Pity. Why not? Well, as far as brains go, I got the lion's share. But when it comes to brute strength... I'm afraid I'm at the shallow end of the gene pool. Oh, I almost oh, yeah. hit that one. And yeah. um, the reason I picked Scar is he's just, besides the fact that he just manipulates that whole movie, there is no movie without Scar um, manipulating Simba and making him think he killed Nufasa. But um, Scar is just like pure evil. And all the spinoffs of The Lion King always somehow go back to Scar and tie into Scar and a relative of Scar or something to do with Scar. So oh, it's, a, it's a great name for a, a villain, too. Scar. Yeah. I mean, just the name alone. Now, did he have the name before he got the Scar, or was he always Scar, and he got the name? <laughs> oh, that was ironic. <laughs> I, I wondered that. The first time. What was his name before? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I bet you it's on the internet somewhere. Oh, yes. It has to be. I'm looking yeah. it up right now. What was Scar's name before he was named Scar? Yeah. Mufasa Jr.? Jeremy Irons, I think. Yeah, it was Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Who, by the way, I almost put him. He's not on my list. I almost picked his character in another movie. Yeah? Yeah. But I didn't. But it, it was close. Oh, wait, here we go. There's a, there's a book called A Tale of Two Brothers, and Scar's original name is revealed to be Taka, T-A-K-A, which means dirt, trash, or want in Swahili. Taka? Hey, you want a taka? It means dirt or trash. I mean, that guy didn't really get any breaks, did he? No. <laughs> no, wonder uh, he no wonder he turned out evil. Yeah, really? God, yeah. what, what a only, only, only the hyenas take him seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's going to that's gonna send you mad right there. I never heard of this. There's a Disney novel series called The Lion King, Six New Adventures, released in 2007, and it's the backstory of the, the original movie. Hmm. Interesting. I think his last name should have been Bell. Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the thing with Scar is obviously Disney drew him to look like the bad guy. But he was so slick getting out of stuff. You knew that Mufasa could just kill him at any time. But you also knew he was almost a Loki type of character. Yeah. You know, he's not the strongest. He's not the quickest. But maybe he's the smartest. Yeah. Right. Good pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David, you are up. So my next one is... Um Going back to what you were just saying about Heath Ledger as, and the Joker as a force of nature, this one is pretty much a force of nature. It is the alien from Alien. Yep. So, um, what, what do what they call it now? The metamorph or the... I, I yeah, think anyway, kind yeah of whatever. Yeah, uh, it's not the metamorph, it's something else. But anyway, the alien from Alien. Um, and you know what? This one, I would probably say pretty much all of the Alien movies, it's pretty much just as terrifying. An amazing concept first of all, is is kind of, you know, an implacable life cycle to create aliens that are almost like viruses. And once they once they get out, then they are virtually unstoppable. And again, a, a creature that needs no motivation. It just 
does what it does because it has to kill to survive and reproduce um and it is incredibly everything about it is kind of almost like designed to kill <laughs> when you cut it open it'll kill you because it bleeds yeah. acid you know well when it opens one mouth and another thing comes out and it's all drooly yeah. and ah oh, just horrifying well what really i mean this this is the thing sometimes you know the stars align and you get something that transcends its source and and i think this is what happened in the first alien movies not only did they have this idea for you know kind of a, a an alien ghost story it's basically it's a horror movie it's you know the alien is the horror is the monster and the instead of the mansion you're stuck in the spaceship and they get picked off one by one but the fact that the life cycle they came up with for the alien is so disgustingly horrifying it implants itself inside you and then it fights its way out killing you in the process and then yeah, the thing fine. that comes out which is already disgusting yeah it will disappear off and before you know it it's an eight foot monster that will that will yeah with the the slime and the mouth and then second mouth and the blood and the acid and all of that same thing the tail that impale you all of it is just you know absolutely terrifying but the thing is that could have been a really really bad monster movie and in the late 70s it was pretty lucky that it didn't turn out like that. But just because they had an amazing production designer, um, they brought in an amazing collaborator in H.R. Geiger who did these horrible, horrible art images. And then they had a, a director, Ridley Scott, who was able to bring it all together and turn it into something that was truly terrifying. Just kind of aligned it all together to make The Alien probably, in my book, the best monster movie of all time. Even though it wasn't really also- meant to be a monster movie. I also like how they made the the hero of the movie a woman. Yep. And in most movies like that, it's not. She's going to be the damsel in distress. Well, they they had the the hysterical damsel in the movie. Yeah. They just yes. had her somewhere else. And boy, she was the only one we were kind of rooting to get killed. She was yes. so irritating. It was uh, Sigourney Weaver that that made her career. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Um, it turned her into a badass. Yeah. In fact, if you see her in any other role, there's always that kind of a, a badassness to her because of Ridley. Yeah, yeah, she has that steel in in her character, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, uh, you know. And remember, she was young at this point, beautiful woman, very talented, and she made a an alien horror movie, and it made her career. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's yeah. there's no way she knew that that was going to happen from I, that movie. I, th- I think the only thing that maybe she suffered from as a result of that is because of the whole badass thing. I think she always, it, I always found it a struggle to see her in a softer role. You know, she did, yeah. she did movies where she was, you know, kind of a, you know, not a badass, but she might have steel or something like that, but she wasn't meant to be the badass. Um, right. and yet it was difficult to see past the strength she, she previously projected. Right. And she was in Ghostbusters. So it ties it all together. Yeah, but well, that's that's kind cool. of what I'm talking about. Even there, yeah. she was meant to be the love interest and the feminine, and right. yet you, you always knew that you could always see Ripley on the screen. You know, well, and she's smarter than everybody else in that movie. Yeah, um, and when she becomes the bad guy herself, and briefly in that movie, uh, it, it's a it's a great role. Yeah. You know, I, I I one of my favorite parts is that she. I forget how she words it, but she wants to, you know, with him. And uh, he's like, okay. <laughs> no, well, that, that was, that, yeah, no, that was one of the, the funny lines, wasn't it? She goes, yeah. she goes, do you want this body? And he goes, is that a trick question? 
<laughs> yeah, it's so good. All I right. Watch Ghostbusters during this downtime. Yeah. Oh, I well, watched well, too many. You know what? I was things. so I'm so looking forward to the new one they're doing. And of course, our entire summer schedule yeah. because of where we are has been right. thrown thrown away. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. So, uh, it doesn't look like anything's coming out this Sunday or this, this, this sun, summer, summer because no. Top Gun's been pushed back. That uh, Ghostbusters has been pushed back a year. Yeah. So I, think, I don't know. I think we're going to have a, a busy autumn in terms of movies. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so I'm up now. The next, I I know I said five, but I've actually got three more on my list and I'm trying to decide which one I'm I'm dumping. I shall not permit it. I know. I'm trying to figure out which one I'm dumping. I think I've got it figured out. So my next one is the Borg. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Ah, yeah. I think the Borg were. Oh, look! It started as a, in Next Generation. They were also in um, Voyager. They were in the movie. The movie actually downplayed. I I didn't like them as much in the movie. The whole idea of a Borg queen just turned me off somewhat. Yeah. Um, they make a, another appearance, kinda, in the Picard series, although it's Picard's emotional reaction to the Borg that's really captivating uh, in the new series that this is still a scar he keeps with him that it still bothers him yeah is very powerful um, but the uh, every single time they show up in the next generation you don't know what's going to happen because it's a collective you know and, and I think as humans that just terrifies us that what makes us us is our individuality can be stripped away completely and that we're just made to serve the greater good, the collective. Yeah, what's what's I think what's scary about the Borg is not the fact that you get turned into a slave, a mechanized slave, but the fact is they, they make it so you don't care about that. Yeah, you, know, you, are, you, you are effectively gone. And in fact, every time you see Borgs taken away from the collective, all they want to do is get back to the collective, despite the fact yeah. they're free at that point, you know. Um, and obviously that became a, a major a major trope of Voyager is, is what happens if you take take one of those, um, you know, those poor people away and then suppose, uh, I'm using air quotes here, free them. Where does that right. actually leave them? And of course, that's what, yeah, the story that's what of Picard Anna then picks was, up with. Right. Well, Anna in, in, or seven of nine issue is known. Um, nine years old girl becomes part of the collective. So the majority of her life at that point yeah. and her character in Voyager made this, I personally think it saved the series cause it was kind of like, eh. yeah. And she was the one that really turned that series into something special. Um, and for her to come back as a ranger, I love that. Yeah. In Picard was just brilliant. And when she does what she does in that movie or in that TV series, you don't want her to, but you kind of want her to, and you're worried what's going to happen if she does it. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, it, it, what a, she's such a good actress and for her to take on that role again and take it to another level was so commendable. Particularly as, um, 
she did not enjoy filming Voyager because she and Kate Mulgrew did not get on at all. And mm-hmm. um, apparently Kate Mulgrew, who played Janeway, made things very, very difficult for her for those three years she was on that show. So, I heard uh, that. Yeah, so um, to the fact that she was willing to come back to the character, I think, again, says something about the quality of what what Picard is. But Well, to- that, and it's not like people were lining up to hire Jerry Ryan and something. Well, yeah, but, you know... I imagine she's, you know, getting by. She, she'll she have all those residuals. When you've been on one of those shows for seven years and then you get residuals because it's being repeated all day, every yeah. day, all over the country, that's bank. You can, yep. you can, you know, I'm not saying you're a multimillionaire. I'm saying that's enough for a comfortable living for the rest of your life. And as an actor, mm-hmm. that means you don't have to worry about when you do or do, don't work. And that that must be very freeing. So what do you think of the Borg, Donnie? Um, I think their cost not only you know their costumes also in the ship that was just a square bunch of who would have thought a squ- uh, just a cube would be that terrifying yeah right and it just the, it, their costumes and their paleness of their faces it just it's one of the, like you said one of the best villains I didn't I, even think I can't remember what it sounds like right now but there was always a sound associated with like a Borg cube and stuff. Mm-hmm. That itself was horrifying because well, you knew what it represented. Not only that, I mean, if you if you remember, when they first encountered the Borg, it was a Q episode where yeah. basically Picard was actually being a little bit arrogant and Q said, look, because as I remember, Q said he wanted to journey with the ship and um, he'd been kicked out of the collective or something and Picard basically said, no, we don't want you. Uh, we, can, we can manage on our own. And he kicked them 20,000 light years away to in front of a ball cube to demonstrate yeah. that they couldn't manage on their own. Uh, and, That's right. And there was real consequence in that episode. They lost people. Uh, and, and at the end, Picard has to beg him, send us back, you know? And, um, of course then the damage is done because the ball, the, the Borg knows about them. The Borg will be coming. Um, and that set everything up and, and God, the, the next generation so desperately needed a real villain at that point. Oh God, they did. Yeah, because and they picked one of the best of all time in my book. Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. They not and and Donnie, you're absolutely right. The fact that that you know their ships, they don't bother doing, you know. Anything. No, they're not pretty and graceful. No, or anything. no, they are. They are utilitarian because they don't yeah. care. And even those the, the the way they did the voice when they communicate with you, you know, you yeah, see the, the inside voice. of a cube. You hear that kind of that chanting, multi-layered voice. We are with the flat inflection. We are the Borg. You, we will assimilate you. You know, we will make you part of our part of our collective. Yeah, yep. and then that that famous phrase that now is part of culture: resistance is futile. It's just brilliant. It's, in fact, every time you hear it now, resistance is futile. You, it's it's like a cultural meme. You know exactly what it means. It's yeah. fan, fabulous. I love yep. the I love the they ones that. I love the ones that are embedded in our culture, where you know, even people who've never heard of it, never seen the TV show, know what it means. Yep. They were almost like space zombies before zombies became big. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But they were worse than zombies because. Right. They were smart, kind of. I guess you could be smart. Right. Yeah. You know, quite honestly, if, if you really, really looked at it, the Federation should never have been able to beat them. Yeah. Because they've got the collective knowledge of all these different species they've assimilated over time. They've got transwarp drives. Uh, multi-layered shields. I mean, well, even the ships just you know, shoot the ships; they just regenerate. 
Yeah. You know, they- I, although the first contact, when the entire fleet attacks and you see Worf and the Defiant, oh, that was so good. Yeah. Um, and, and Riker says, it's a tough little ship. Little. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that, that space battle with the Borg is one of my favorites ever filmed. I just love that scene. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, was really good. And, and even the fact that, you beam on their ships and they just ignore you because they're from as far as they're concerned, you're so insignificant. They don't need to do anything about you until you're perceived to be a threat. And then the entire cube's going to come after you. Right. How <laughs> scary is that? that they're beamed in and they're walking right next to all these other drones because that's what they're called. Yeah. And they're just ignored. Yeah. Unless you're, you interfere with what they're doing. Yeah. It's just terrifying because you're thinking, man, if you're there, any second, the, all of these things should just turn on you, and you have zero chance. Yeah. And the same attack doesn't work twice in a row. You shoot them with your phaser; the first one dies. You shoot the next one; it doesn't work because they've adjusted. Yeah. Holy crap! What a what an amazing concept. So scary. Um, Donnie, you are up with your last pick. Make it a good one. All right, I'm trying to avoid the uh, the quote unquote generic bad guy, and I don't know if this one will fall into that or not, but. I'm going to go with Gene Hackman's Lex, Lex Luthor from the Christopher Reeves Superman series. Costa del Lex, Lutherville, Marina del Lex, Otisburg. Otisburg? Mustache Matrigan. She's got her own place, man. Otisburg? It's a little bitty place. Otisburg? Okay, I just wipe it off. That's all. It's a little town. You're a dreamer, Lex Luthor. A sick, twisted dreamer. Your plan couldn't possibly work. Yeah, okay. I love think, um, Whenever you see Lex Luthor in a movie now, at least when I do, especially when um, what was it, Return of Super- Superman Returns? Yeah, yeah. Is that what? You just that's the Lex Luthor that that Luthers are compared to. Yeah. Um, I think that that uh, he number one, it's Gene Hackman. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh, every time Gene Hackman's on screen, I have to watch him. Um. Hoosiers is one of my all-time favorite movies and because of Gene Hackman. But I don't think his Luther is Luther without his but his bungling sidekick. <laughs> oh yeah, um Otis. Otis. Otis, yeah. yeah. I love uh, Otis is so great. How could you not love Otis? He makes Lex Luthor better because you can just see the frustration on Luthor's face every time he has to deal with this bumbling idiot. Yeah, you what what is he? Is he? Um, is he some sort of family member in the original Superman movie? That's why he keeps him around. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure true. there's a line that's, that that because one of the things you think is is God, this guy's a genius. Why on earth does he surround himself with these idiots? But then I, I think I'm pretty sure there's a line that basically says he's family or something like that, and so he doesn't he can't do anything to him. I think he's a brother-in-law or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember, but Luther, as played by Gene Hackman, is is. It really is a, a, a he elevates that movie to something better than it was because let's be honest Christopher Reeves as Superman is just a Boy Scout and you like him because he's a Boy Scout but there's not a lot of depth there no he kind of well, I guess he he was playing the character as the character I mean that was how those sorts of things were done back then it was the late yeah. 70s I guess um, yeah. and, I, and I think he was very much playing to the comic book so I think he kind of nailed it in terms of what everyone was was expecting 
but um yeah by modern standards it's it, the whole movie is fairly pedestrian and the the kind of the overarching plot of using nuclear missiles to kind of uh become a land become a land baron i yeah. i remember thinking back in the 70s when i watched it that it was a little bit lame as a, as a supervillain plot and and it certainly hasn't aged well um but but you're absolutely right gene hackman kind of elevates the character with the performance and that's yeah. kind of what you need from a movie like that i think what made you pick them danny i was going through my list again of movies on my computer and uh trying to avoid a certain character so i saw S- superman in there and i was like oh wait gene hackman looks luther yep, i go. thought of it too david you're up for your last one well the only one left on my list is probably the one the one yeah. we're all gonna pick so mm-hmm. shall i go for it yeah go for it so it is darth vader yep. I didn't pick up. I knew somebody else would. Right, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, and, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm breaking your rules here, Tim, but as far as I'm concerned, the Darth Vader from A New Hope is the best villain of all time. I agree. I, you know, I know it's become a, a bit of a meme now, the kind of the big reveal of, you know, he's Luke's father at the end of Empire. Um, I didn't that's kind of when I lost Darth Vader a little bit for me. I preferred him when he was just the implacable badass. And in that first movie, because he, you're not seeing the emperor, you, you know, you, you kind of, you know, he's the emperor's henchman, but you think, well, this guy, you know, the emperor wasn't around. He'd be running the show himself. He's so evil. He's so committed to the dark side. I, um, I would, I would put Darth Vader in, in a new hope and, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he lost anything because you finally see the Emperor. I, he's still Vader. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I know. Own theme song. In, in Hope, it's more. You're still. It's like, who is this guy? You don't know anything about him. But that's yeah. but that's just that's part of part of it. And you've got to remember, remember when they did a New Hope, as it was just Star Wars back then. They were just basically trying to do a Saturday morning TV, uh, Saturday morning TV serial type thing from the old movies. Yep. So it was it was a modern interpretation of that. So Darth Vader was just the bad guy, and that's all they needed him to be. They didn't need him to have a lot of the other stuff that got layered on later on. And I think a lot of that kind of burdened the character. I didn't really want to see a Darth Vader redemption arc. I I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy his change from good to evil, from evil to good at the end of Return of the Jedi, because he was a character in a mask. So you couldn't see an emotion. You couldn't see... The conflict as well yeah, as at the end of Jedi when they pull his helmet off, you're like, wah, wah. yeah, exactly. And and yeah. and definitely nothing in the prequels really adds anything to the character at all. As far uh, as I it does, the Clone Wars does because you get yeah. to find out. It, forget about the the prequel movies. Yeah, just look at the Clone Wars TV series, which I assume you've watched, Donnie, or no? No, I haven't. Well, I've watched any of them? The two characters of Obi Wan Kenobi. And and Anakin Skywalker, they are badasses, and you see, um, slowly, you really—I don't know what season you're in yet. No, but, I'm still early on, so I, I've I've not seen the development yet, so I can't yeah, comment you, on it. They do develop Anakin in a way that the the movies never did. Yeah, you can see that he is really powerful, and he is heading down a path that he probably shouldn't. And you, we all know how it ends up—he yeah. becomes a bad guy. But you believe that that guy is eventually going to be Vader, yeah. and you understand the heartbreak that Obi Wan really does feel when it finally comes to the point where he has to effectively kill his friend. He doesn't, of course, yeah. but that 
he thought he did. Yeah. And and uh, I I just add to you know the, the Darth Vader from from the original Star Wars movies attack onto that the uh, that amazing sequence at the end of Rogue One when he's oh, coming for the plans and yeah. you see him kind of you know realized with modern effects as you know a force wielding lightsaber wielding dark Jedi and it's just amazing it's absolutely amazing and it, I, it it then plays straight into that scene in Star Wars where people are terrified of him. Oh, except, yeah. except for Leia, who's you know got the uh, you know the badass spunkery that you want to uh, kind of you know push back, and she does it through the whole of the movie. She pushes back against Grand Moff Tarkin as well. You know she she really projects herself as not caring, even though she's also frightened at the same time. But all the other oh, she people, does it against Chewie and, and yeah, Han, yeah, and, exactly. You know all the other stormtrooper to Luke. I yeah. mean. But all the other characters are terrified of him, even the people on his own side. There's that brilliant scene in the kind of the, the boardroom of the Death Star when, uh, you know, when, you know, I find your lack of faith disturbing, which has also en- entered the lexicon of, uh, sure. you know, as a shorthand. Yeah. And, you know, he force chokes the guy and it's just incredible. It's just incredible when he does that. Um, you know, and it, it just to me, again, it just brought out how just utterly ruthless Darth Vader is. And I, yeah. I thought he was better just as a malevolent bad guy rather than with a lot of the baggage that came later on. I agree. Uh, yeah, it's hard to argue with Darth Vader. I mean, he probably is the ultimate bad guy. And I didn't put him on my list because it was simply too easy. Yeah. My last one, um, here's the one that didn't make it, Agent Smith. Yeah. He, he was, was so close. He was, but, he, was, he was one of my potentials as well. Yep. Yeah. It, he he was he was almost there, but uh, I don't know. I uh, he just wasn't bad enough, I guess. Well, the problem is, is that it was hard to gauge exactly how bad he was because the second two movies and the Matrix series were such a mess. So bad. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about them making the new one? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that kind of sums it up right there. <laughs> My only hope is Keanu is a much bigger star and he has a lot more control over his characters now. Yeah. If they're going to do this, they're going to do it right. Um, so my last bad guy is one of my favorite bad guys of all time. Uh, I wish he didn't die at the end of the movie. Um, and, and he's one of these actors who actually plays a, a, another bad guy to perfection in, um, as Snape. But it's Hans Gruber uh, in the original yeah. Die Hard. I almost picked him yeah. in... As Snape, because I think he's much scarier in the Harry Potter movies as well as the books than he ever is um, as Hans Gruber. But there's something about Hans Gruber as the bad guy. You know, when Bruce Willis comes across him in person, oh, don't kill me, yeah. switches to an American accent. And, um, but he is one of these guys that's smarter than everybody else in the room. He's constantly dealing with idiots. <laughs> um, and he, he's in a suit and a tie, very similar to Gordon Gecko. Um, he's just a, a bank robber at the end of the day. Yeah. But he exudes this confidence, this um, how, how, this gravitas. Yeah. That you know, who who the hell was this actor before this role? He was nobody. Nobody knew who he was, and. He became kind of, you know, that person 
after that movie. I, and I've loved every single thing. He was in a, a movie called Bottle Shock. That was really good. Um, there was another one. I was just on the tip of my tongue uh, that I, I just loved him in. Oh, January Man. You ever see that? Yeah. Yeah, he was great. Where he had kind of this eccentric, weird. It, it's brilliant. There's two, um, there's two roles that he did. First of all, he was kind of, he kind of turned Hans Gruber up to 11 as the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, which yeah, was he's the same character. Yeah, but basically, you know, it, 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 he, he was he was overhamming it, and it was so funny. Um, yes. And and then secondly, I loved the work he did in um, basically spoofing spoofing Star Trek in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> oh, Galaxy Quest was awesome. Yeah, where he yeah. he basically was spoofing oh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was it was great stuff. Why a spoon? Because a spoon would hurt more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, but there's something about him, his eye roll dealing with morons yeah. uh, that I don't think any other actor has captured the way he, he yeah, I was so sad to see his passing. Um, and, and selfishly, I'm glad it happened after he wrapped up the Harry Potter series because nobody could have played Snape. No, nobody. And the funny thing is when, uh, J.K. Rowling said when she was writing the book series, Alan Rickman was the guy she was thinking of. Yeah. That that was always her character. And for him to play it in the movies was serendipity because that that's who she wrote it for. That's who Snape always was in the books. You know, the, the way she described him, the way his snide behavior, it was perfect for him. Yeah, he, and, his voice had that drip of sarcasm when he was being yes. horrible to people that was yes. just perfection and is it's very hard to pull that off convincingly a lot of people yeah a lot of people the way the the stain yeah exactly yeah it you know it and and like i said it almost drips from the whip from the words the way he the way he does them and as i say it's very difficult to do that and and sell it and he he had it down absolutely had it down and that's why i picked hans gruber because that's the role that allowed us to see him in all these other things there's just something about Hans Gruber. I, I love the story, uh, if you will, a behind-the-scenes story. <laughs> They've got him like three stories up on this prop that when he's going to fall off the building. Uh-huh. And they want to get a real reaction when he falls. So they tell him they're, they're going to they're gonna cut the line. He's going to fall. And he falls into this you know thing. He's not going to get hurt. But it's still, it's three stories tall. It's kind of yeah. scary. And they say, well, we're going to go. Okay, it's one, two, three, and then you're going to fall. Yeah. And so they say one, and then they let go. <laughs> so he didn't know it was coming. So his reaction as he's falling is an actual honest yeah. reaction because he didn't know they were going to do it like that. And I think that's brilliant. And they did it in one shot. They didn't get another shot of that because it was so perfect the first time. Because how do you fake him out the second time? You're yeah. not going to. Um, so that oh, shit moment his almost the puckering of the lips and his eyes going up and yeah. that's all a hundred percent real. I mean, obviously he knows he's not going to die, but it is a huge surprise. He did not know they were going to do that. I love the fact that that's captured forever on film. Yep. So that is our list. Uh, 15 top villains. Hey guys, congratulations. We didn't have any uh, duplications. Yeah, that's pretty good. Are you surprised about that, Donnie? Uh, I think we were trying to avoid it the whole time. So. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, there's some backups. And yeah, adjusted let's, as we went. let's hear a couple of your backups, Donnie. 
Um, I lost my list, but I was just thinking about um, Jaws. The shark um, itself, Bruce. The shark itself, yeah. No, I think I think the mayor of Amity was the uh, real villain of that movie. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yep. I don't know if I ever saw the whole movie itself. I don't remember if I've ever seen the whole movie. Well, you got the on your hands, John Donny, so you should uh, you should get it th- get through it. I remember seeing the 3D one when I was younger. Yeah, that was so bad. Yeah, that was awful. There's a thing. I don't know if they do this in the UK, but there's a thing, although probably not this summer, where they will have on the water after dark. You're you're on flotation devices in the water watching Jaws. <laughs> Good God. Really? I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. They do it around here in Michigan quite a bit. Um, oh, that's funny. You, you bring your own flotation device and food and drink. And you go out into the water, and they have this floating screen, and they show Jaws. And could you imagine having your feet in the water at night watching Jaws? Holy crap. Yeah. Do they have little um, people with uh, fins on their backs? No, them? they don't do it. It's just the movie. It's fun, but it's also kind of scary and freaky at the same time. Yeah. I think I, I would totally do it. I don't. I don't like being in the water when I can't see the bottom. Um, I mean, I could swim fine and all that, but like if seaweed or something brushes my leg, I'm like, want to get out of the water right now. I can't stand it. Um, so to watch Jaws and something might brush my foot, you might see a miracle on someone running on water. <laughs> yeah, you see that. Get your get your iPhones ready to film, <laughs> especially if you're getting grossed in it and you're just sitting there and. You're just totally into the movie. The the best part of that movie is the three guys on the boat telling stories. Yeah. I, I was just thinking about the other day, because, you know, the um, you've heard of the Great British Bake Off, the uh, reality yeah. baking show. So the, they do a celebrity series around about this time of year for uh, cancer. So it, it raises money for cancer. It's called Stand Up to Cancer. And um, so they get these celebrities, and, and they had Richard Dreyfus on the, the Bake Off. Uh, and um, he's yeah, he's get, he's getting on a bit, but he, you know what? He's still Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I think he was always a prick. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. There, yeah every interview I've ever seen him, eh, he's kind of a dick. Uh, he he kind of come comes across like that. Yeah, um, David. Anybody that yeah. was right on the cut. So, uh, yeah, if, if you remember the Disney movie, The Black Hole, the red robot in that, Maximilian. Oh, my God, I hated Maximilian. He was so scary. <laughs> exactly. I never watched that movie. Uh, in, in, so the, the, things that, the things that kind of stick with you from childhood, uh, yep. and that was one because, I don't know, the production design of that movie, actually, you look back at it now, it holds up relatively well for a, a kind of a Disney teeny movie, but, a, right. you know, a kiddies movie. But, yeah, that... That robot was scary as hell. <laughs> yeah, those like shoulder pad blade thing, and the, and the one red eye, kind of like a. Yeah. a and this was Violent. before Battlestar Galactica, um, yeah. and yeah, and uh, and and it killed people, and it floated. <laughs> I, I I almost picked the Cylons for that same reason, yeah. but they were never really all that scary, and they never hit anything. So. No, and and also like, yeah, in in the TV show, they were kind of buffoonish. <laughs> They weren't well. Know, not not in the, in the in the reimagined series. They were pretty. They were pretty evil and pretty badass. Those ones. Yeah. But in the in the original TV yeah. series, they were so obviously guys in suits who couldn't see what they were doing. Right. <laughs> yes. I, my what killed it for me though was the A team, where Dirk Benedict, who yeah. was also, <laughs> points at one at like a theme park or something. Like, hey, 
that kind of killed silence for me. Um, no, that Maximilian was a, it's, it's an awesome name for a robot. Yeah. And he looked awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, after that movie, I, cause I remember seeing that movie. I thought he would be much better in the star Wars movies. Yes. Where he could be a true badass. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's our list. Uh, what's your list guys? Did we forget something that's so obvious? You can't believe no one picked it. Let us know. Uh, email us at the show at techfanpodcast.com. Yes, it's still the techman podcast email address. Um, maybe I'll eventually create one for the show, but we really do appreciate you guys listening to Geeks Pub this week. Uh, for Donnie and David, we'll see you next week. Or oh, two weeks. See you then. See you.